If you got your Bibles, open to Acts chapter 2, and then uh, we'll also jump into Philippians chapter 4. Much of what you heard me say about Arvia, we are going to experience firsthand right here as we study Acts chapter 2, all right? So Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Uh, Have you ever been in a season of life when you felt on a roll before? You ever just felt on a roll like everything was coming together at just the right time? It was all happening just the right way? Some of you are like, yes, it was not 2020, all right? I get that. I understand uh, it's been a tough year, all right, and uh, we still got a little bit to go. The Lord can turn anything around at any point, and that's one of the things that we we hold out hope for. But there are times, I want you to think back to a time in your life uh, when you just felt like everything was coming together. For me personally, um, my senior year in college was one of those stretches. I moved off to school when I was just 17 years old. And uh, living alone for the first time, working a job uh, uh, where I didn't have my mom getting me out of bed, you know, in the morning to go work or uh, staying on me. I mean, it was it was tough. And then going to class and trying to keep out of out of state uh, tuition waiver, uh, that uh, kind of a scholarship. And uh, I'll never forget. I'm trying to juggle all those things, plus trying to live for Christ and do the right thing uh, spiritually. And uh, um, the first three years were a real struggle. But that senior year, I felt like I got into the groove. God, you had that experience before, man, I'm telling you, you've had three years of figuring it out, and then all of a sudden, it's like you figure out how to keep the ship in the channel uh, in that regard. And so my senior year in college, I figured out I couldn't do everything, but there were four things that I needed to do regularly in order uh, to keep things afloat. And so in, in this order, church... Church was the highest priority in making sure that I lived for God in all things. Class, getting that degree and actually finishing what I had started uh, was second, and I'd kind of worked into a groove with class. Red Lobster, I waited tables for four and a half years at the finest restaurant in America, Red Lobster, and uh, finally figured out my schedule. I had enough seniority that I could kind of demand different shifts that I wanted, knew kind of the schedule that I wanted to keep. And then, of all things... Disc golf, frisbee golf. Some of you got to experience that uh, at the uh, church uh, at the church gathering that we did. Uh, I'm telling you, for the price of a disc, you can play as many times as you want, and so it didn't cost the same as somebody going out to play actual golf. You just go and throw the frisbee. And so I had a group of friends, and we were all together all the time. And so we'd finish class, or we'd finish work, and they'd go, "Man, let's just walk out to the frisbee golf course and let's go throw around 18 holes on the golf course." And so it was so great because it didn't cost anything. We could be out there together and if the weather was good we had a good time if the weather was bad we would sit under the little portico awning and then we would just talk about life and and what was ahead those moments where you're in the groove where it just feels like it all comes together most of the time happens when we figure out our priorities and we're able to again funnel it through and and do it the right way now just for the record I couldn't stay in that there were plenty of other things that had to happen afterwards but for that time it was a really really special moment in Acts chapter 2 verse 42 through 47 we get the period of the early church where it was going really good, where the church was like butter. It was on a roll, all right? Okay, everything was coming together just the right way. Things were firing at just the right time. They'd gone through a period of uncertainty. They'd gone through a period of difficulty. And now there was great blessing that was taking place. Look at what happens in Acts 2, 42 through 47. 
It says they, this is the early church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and they had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts and they broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Stop right there for just a minute. The summary of what's happened here in the book of Acts in the early church is they have fellowship with Almighty God and are fully devoted to him but they are also experiencing fellowship with one another. What they're experiencing is again this community that is absolutely unparalleled where there is fellowship with God, devotion to Almighty God and fellowship with one another to the point that it says they had everything in common. Now, does that mean they all liked basketball or badminton, right? No, it means what was most important, that they had it in common, and that was Jesus, their devotion to him, their belief that he was making something new in their midst, and that if he had given them something in great blessing, that they could use that thing to bless others for his kingdom. Arvia, we've watched you live that so greatly. Now, listen, when that happens, you get verse 47. The Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. The early church got into a groove, fellowship with God and with one another. And the payoff is the rest of the world looks in and goes, I want what you got. I don't know what it is. I don't know how it works, but I can see that something is different. It's good and it's contagious in a good way. It's contagious. It's something that could benefit me in the same way that it benefits you. As we read through this passage, if you're taking notes, write this down. You ready? The church is meant to be a place of forgiveness, fellowship, and discipleship as the name of Jesus is proclaimed. Let me say it again. The church is meant to be a place of forgiveness, fellowship, and discipleship as the name of Jesus is proclaimed. The early church, again, you couldn't stop people from coming because they genuinely, honestly cared for one another. I'll never forget the first time I really got to experience a church like this before. I was about to graduate from Oklahoma State and just nearing the very end of my college career. And I'll never forget, I get a call from John Strapazon. Strap and my dad had founded a ministry called Paradigm at Texas Tech University. That's why I'm wearing my tech shirt today. He founded, they founded a ministry called Paradigm. It was a Bible study for college students, and the very first week, there were eight people in our front bedroom of our house. 1997 was when this happened. There were eight people in our front bedroom. Uh, it was the end of my freshman year in high school. And I'll never forget, um, we're uh, spending time together. They have this service, and we could feel it. The Spirit of God fell in that beautiful moment, even though there were less than 10 people in the room. <sighs> Seven years later, there would be 1,600 college kids on Thursday nights that were meeting at First Baptist Church in Lubbock. It was unbelievable. In fact, some of you in this room got to attend Paradigm when you went to Texas Tech University. My dad was one of the best preachers I'd ever known, but it wasn't just the Thursday nights. 
It was also Sunday mornings. John Strapazon, we called him Strap. Strap used to preach on Sunday mornings, and there'd be 1,000 to 1,100 students that were there on Sunday mornings to hear Strap expound on the Word of God. Not only that, but there was a level of community there because of what was happening where it created this amazing synergy. I'll never forget moving up there. And when I moved up to, uh, I moved down to Lubbock, I'll never forget, uh, we had this experience where there were some guys who had just impromptu decided they were going to do something called Pancakes Before Paradigm or pancakes after paradigm. There were a couple of guys landed in Austin who had a little college student house, but across the street from their house was a parking lot for a church and a big wide open field on that same church's property. So Landon in Austin would host an impromptu pancake gathering because college students could afford pancake mix, all right, and that was about it. Pancake mix and bottles of water, and there would be two to three hundred students that would show up and hang out basically in their front yard uh, for this pancake before the Bible study or after the Bible study. It was amazing. In fact, that was one of mine and Autumn's very first dates was going to this little pancake fellowship at this, uh, at this house. Not only that, but we were meeting together in discipleship twice a week where we would study scripture together in small groups and we were pouring out to others and teaching new students as they came along. All this time, I'm waiting tables at Red Lobster and got to see several of my coworkers come to Christ that attended the church service. It was the first time I had ever really seen all of it worked together where it was ministry and community hand in hand and side by side. You become addicted to it. And the thought was not that when we came up here to start our church that we would duplicate that model, but that we would strive for fellowship with one another and devotion and fellowship to Almighty God to come together in unity and that we could see some amazing things happen for the kingdom. When we study the book of Acts, we are looking at how the church began to thrive from the very, very beginning. Most scholars are in agreement uh, that Luke is the writer of the book of Acts. About 95, 97% of scholars believe that Luke is the one who writes the book of Acts. And the way that Luke writes, Luke was a doctor by trade. He was a physician by trade. He loves to take the macro diagnosis and then come back in with a case study so that you can look at how this specifically works in a person's circumstances. Just like you would diagnose a big disease or a big illness and then come back and talk about the individual uh, and how they, how they went on their journey through this process. We get Acts 2, 42 through 47, how the church was moving in power and how it was working, again, on a roll. But in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, we get the case study of a man who was born crippled since birth. Let's look at the way the Lord enters into his life in Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, and we're going to address this question today. How do we as a church see the lost saved and wanderers come home? How do we prepare to see the lost saved and the wanderers come home? Just for the record, it may be today that you fall into one of those categories. If that's you, then this service is for you. Lost is someone who is wandering through life and trying to figure out what it's all about. We believe in the name Jesus Christ that there is a void in the spirit of each and every one of us that was made specifically for Jesus Christ alone to fill. There is no amount of money you could ever place into that void that could ever fill it. There's no relationship that could ever fill that void. There's no amount of fame. There's no amount of influence that could ever fill that void. It was made only for Jesus. If that's you, my prayer is that you would find answers today and you would be saved. For others, maybe it's the first time you've been back to church in a long, stinking time. If that's you, there's no judgment, but rather an invitation. Come home. Come home. 
The Lord desires for you to have fellowship with him, and it's possible to have fellowship with one another as well. We need each other during this time. So how do we see the lost saved and wanderers come home? Let's look at the case study. Acts chapter three, and now let's start in verse one. It starts off one day. Underline and highlight one day. Remember, this is Luke or whoever the author is here saying, macro, the church was blowing and going. Great things were happening. And then now all of a sudden we have one day, one specific instance. Here's what it says. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer at three in the afternoon. Circle and highlight and, under, or circle, highlight and underline prayer at three in the afternoon. Now, here's what's interesting about that. There were big times of prayer and there were big times of worship, but the three o'clock in the afternoon time was not like our Sunday morning service or our big gathering. The three o'clock hour of prayer was a secondary gathering. The picture that we have here here is that these guys are not just devoted on Sunday mornings, but these guys are at a point where they have truly made following Jesus Christ their entire life. It's, a, it's all who they are. They're still working. They're still serving. They're still working in the community. But when it comes to uh, their, uh, their devotion to Almighty God, even the three o'clock hour of prayer, they're gathering together because they don't want to miss it if God's going to do something amazing. If you're taking notes, how do we see the lost saved and wanderers come home? Number one is through consistent devotion. Devotion, specifically consistent devotion to Almighty God. We forget nowadays that consistency is key to really seeing earth and uh, to really seeing life change happen from a spiritual perspective. Consistency is key. My dad used to give this example. It's like the battle between the wave and the rock. He used to ask, who's winning the battle, the wave or the rock? He would say, remember. The rock is not beating the wave. The rock is slowly losing through the process of erosion to the wave. Day after day, hit after hit, moment after moment, and then finally one day the right wave is going to hit and the rock is going to dissipate and turn into sand. Eventually it will be broken down. The rock is not winning. It's just slowly losing in the battle with the wave. The same is true when it comes to evangelism. Consistency, like water against the rock, will eventually wear down their defenses where they begin to look introspective and go, you know what? There is nothing that will fill this void. There is nothing that can fill me up, that can give me joy, that I can find peace in the midst of the turmoil of this world. Only Jesus. It's at that point when they're willing to listen to the gospel message. Now, just for the record, consistent devotion also requires consistent discipleship. You gotta make sure that you're living for Christ every day. By the way, if you're taking notes, write this down. This came from a, a dear friend of mine. He passed away in the last year. His name's Major Spites. He was the senior adult pastor and I was the youth minister. We were odd friends at the church that we were at because he was at the very end of his ministry career. I was at the very beginning of mine. He spent so much time with me and was so kind in discipleship. I asked him at one point, he had pastored First Baptist Church, Laplace, Louisiana, a suburb of, Louis, a suburb of New Orleans, I asked him, I said, what was the key to longevity in ministry? He'd been there more than 30 years. Here's what he said. Preach the gospel faithfully and people will be saved. Preach the gospel faithfully and people will be saved. The lost being saved and the wanderers coming home requires a movement of the Holy Spirit. But it's typically when they see Christ in us that they are then able to see the emptiness 
in their own soul, in their own spirit. Consistent devotion to God. We preach the gospel faithfully and people will be saved. Paul writes it this way in Philippians chapter four, verses eight and nine. These are great verses to memorize. Look at what it says. Philippians four, verses eight and nine. Paul says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Underline and highlight, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Stop right there for just a minute. What we find in this passage is the reason that consistent devotion is a struggle because our thought life is spent on things that are not worthy of Almighty God. We spend our time thinking about things, especially during the era of COVID. We spend our time thinking about things that spur worry and fear within us instead of things that are praiseworthy and trusting that God is the one who's in charge. He says, think about what's true, what's noble, what's right, what's pure, what's lovely, admirable. And then he says things that are excellent or praiseworthy. One of the reasons that the lost and the wandering don't come to us for help is because we don't want anybody following us around. You ever heard the old saying that uh, if a police officer follows a car long enough, they will find them breaking the law at one point or another? Christians have taken that to the wrong degree. And we sit there and we go, oh, man, if they follow me around long enough, they're going to see I'm imperfect. That is a true statement. The problem comes when you make the decision that you don't want to be followed at all. Now, just for the record, some of you are like, you making comments on privacy here? No, I'm not making policy comments. I'm talking about as believers in Jesus Christ. Paul says at the end of Philippians, follow my way of life. Watch the way I navigate hardship. Watch the way I navigate fear. Watch the way that I navigate raising my kids. Watch the way that I struggle to try to live for Christ at work. Watch the way I try to be a good neighbor even when the HOA brings up some crazy policies, right? Watch the way that I try to be a good son or daughter when I'm trying to live for Christ and something happens within the family or a death takes place. Watch my life and see me live for Jesus Christ. The problem with believers is we come to the point where we go, man, I I just wish those people would be godly. I just wish those people would be moral. I just wish those people would be good. And we sit there with our arms crossed from a distance and we have completely shut ourselves off from being the example. It's either fear that's misplaced that's keeping you from stepping out and being available. Listen, she's getting real. Or it's secret sin. You're afraid if they followed you long enough they'd see that you're a hypocrite, that you've got sin, that you consistently dip your toe in the water of sin, and you go back to it over and over and over again like a dog returns to its own vomit, Scripture says. We gotta come to a point where Philippians 4, even our thought life, we are spending our time thinking about the things of God. And when our thought life becomes one in step with him, then it causes the rest of the world to go, I think I could follow her. I think I could follow him. I don't know what it is, but something is different. Consistent devotion. When we do that, it is a powerful wave against that rock of struggle, of disbelief. If you're taking notes, it begs the question, is it time you were faithful? Is it time you were faithful to God, 
to the church, to living for Christ at work? Is it time that you were faithful? Now let's look at what happens next. We're about to get the title for our sermon series. Are you ready? Next 10, 15, 60 weeks, we'll be studying these next three chapters. That was a joke, all right? Hopefully, hopefully a joke. Okay, moving on. Verse two, okay? So Peter and John go up there, secondary time, but it's consistent. They're consistently devoted to the Lord. Verse two, it says, now a man crippled from birth. Underline and highlight crippled from birth. The picture here, is this a guy who the Lord has crafted for this specific moment? Now a man crippled from birth was being carried, underline being carried, to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. Now stop right there for just a minute. We find in the beginning of this passage the consistent devotion of Peter and John. We then find in verse 2, consistent devotion again from those who are carrying this man who is in need to the gate called Beautiful at the temple every single day. These people are not named, these people are not listed, and yet they carry a massive, massive role in this man's redemption. They carry him to this gate every single day. By the way, there are, scholars are in debate on what this gate, uh, which gate this was. It's one of two gates. The first gate it could possibly be is called the Shushan Gate, okay? The Shushan Gate was basically the opening, the opening uh, portico area to right before you walked into where the church services were meeting during this time. Um, It is possible that this man is brought and carried right to the edge of the gate. They don't force theology on him, but they're putting him right there where theology can be received by him. Most scholars actually believe that this gate was actually something called the Nicanor Gate. The Nicanor Gate was made of Corinthian brass, and this idea of it being called the gate called beautiful, it was Corinthian brass, it was ornate, but it also had a really amazing story to it. The story about the Nicanor Gate was that uh, it was two doors that were brought from overseas uh, to this part of the temple to kind of designate this this coming in to a, a spirit of worship. But in the middle of the, uh, uh, the legend is that the, uh, one of the doors for the Nicanor Gate was being brought in. There was a storm that hit, and the legend is they threw the door overboard to try to shear up some weight on the boat. They threw the, they threw the door, the gate overboard, and uh, it sank to the bottom of the sea. Well, anyway, as they're building the temple, all of a sudden, in miraculous fashion, this brass gate washes up on the shore it up and that it was symbolic of a miraculous entering into fellowship with God. That when you opened the gate, this miraculous gate that should not be on the building, it should be at the bottom of the sea, that they could open it up and it just symbolized either way, whether it's the Nicanor gate or the Shushan gate, whether it's uh, the picture here is he's sitting right next to the gate of fellowship, forgiveness, discipleship, and this connection with Almighty God, and he's also uh, connected with fellowship with others. All he has to do is walk through the gate. All he has to do is get through the gate to the other side, but his friends carry him right up until that point. If you're taking notes, how do we see the lost saved and wanderers come home? Number one is through consistent devotion to God, and number two is through sacrificial compassion. 
for the lost and for the wandering. For believers in Jesus Christ, we have to realize we have got to have people in our lives that we are carrying right to the gate. Only the Holy Spirit can convict and draw someone to be saved. But we as believers have got to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ and say we are going to do our very, very best to enable an experience with the gospel for the people around us that we love the most or even the people around us that are our neighbors or people that we interact with at work. We've got to sacrificially bring them to the gate. And notice what it says here. Every single day they brought him to that temple court. Every single day there was consistency in their evangelism for the lost as well. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Love your neighbor enough to put them in position to experience the gospel. RV, you have done that so well in your life. Love your neighbor enough to put them in position to experience the gospel. These people are not named, and yet they carried this man every day to the temple gates. Only the Holy Spirit can convict, bring him forward, can heal him. But in this circumstance, they are faithful every single day to bring him right there to that gate. I watched recently the movie The Lord of the Rings, all right, or the movies Lord of the Rings, all right? And it culminates in a scene where Frodo and Sam are trying to take the ring to Mordor, all right? And they're trying to destroy the ring, right? Mount Doom, this big volcano that they've got to drop the ring in and destroy it in the same fires that it was made. Well, do you remember this? They get up to the end, and Frodo is like staring at the gate, or he's staring at the, 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 uh, the tunnel that he has to go in to finally destroy the ring, but the ring is so heavy, and you watch it. He falls on the ground. He's right there at the gate. He's right there at the entrance. All he's got to do is go a few more feet, and then the journey is finally over. And you got Elijah Wood laying down there going, I can't do it, Sam. I can't do it. I couldn't possibly go any further. It's too heavy. It's awful. All I can see is death and fire. And you watch it. Sean Austin, who does an amazing job, again, as the emotional other hobbit in the, in the series, right? He gets there, and he looks up, and he goes, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry this ring for you, but I can carry you. And he lifts him up, throws him on his shoulder and you watch him he marches forward as he carries him on his shoulder now just for the record the only reason that that's not so cheesy is because you have bought in for like 15 hours of the movie at that point all right okay by that point you bought in or you left and you quit watching all right that's just the way it goes a long long set of movies now here's what happens he carries him i can't carry the burden i can't make you get saved i can't make you come back to god but I can carry you to the gate. I can bring you right to the entrance. The gate called beautiful. He carries his friend and says, or they carry their friend and say, look, man, we can't make you get saved. We can't make you go in fellowship, but we're going to do everything within our power to bring you to the gate, to bring you right there to the entrance. There are some of you trying to reach your brother or your sister for Christ, your mom, your dad, your children, your best friend from high school, and you desperately want them to come to Jesus. You can't make them get saved. You can't do it. But you can carry them to the gate called beautiful. You can carry them and put them in position to where they get an opportunity to make a decision. Sometimes in our culture, we get so lazy. And can I tell you what I mean by lazy? It's not that we aren't willing to do the work. We're not willing to do the work if we don't know for certain what the payoff is going to be. Here's the problem. That's not the way the gospel works. 
We've got to do the work and sacrifice to Almighty God and trust that in his time, he will bless. There's some of you today, and I'm telling you, you walk through the rain, you knew it was gonna be a little bit different weather-wise, you knew already that it's gonna be weird because of the way we do masks and the way that we do our temperature checks, you knew it was gonna be strange because of COVID, but you fought through and went, okay, I'm doing it because it's right and not because it makes me feel comfortable at this point. I'm trusting the Lord, and I'm gonna offer this up as a sacrifice of praise to him. Lord, I submit, I'm coming to the city gate, and I'm trusting whatever it is you want to do today, that it was your will to do it. You gotta come to the point where you are so broken for the lost, so broken for the wanderer who's left the faith behind for a time, that you would say, I don't care if they make a decision today or not, I just want them to have a chance. I just want them to have a shot. When we do that, cool stuff happens in God's time. By the way, another little verse here, Philippians chapter two, verse three. Paul says this. He says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourself. It begs the million-dollar question today. You ready for this? Who are you carrying to the gate? Who are you carrying to the gate? There's a crazy statistic that came out this week. I bet several of you got to see this. They asked people age 18 to 24. The survey was done, the poll was done. How many of you have struggled with depression since the start of the coronavirus pandemic? More than 50% said that they had struggled with depression age 18 to 24. The second stat is the one that'll send chills up and down your spine. They said, how many of you had thoughts of suicide? The answer was more than 22%, age 18 to 24, that had thoughts of suicide. Two things, number one, it's not so bad. It's a lie of the enemy that it will be this way forever. It will not. Take it from a guy who turns 39 years old on Thursday, all right? I'm just ahead of that age bracket, just a little, all right? Listen to me. It's gonna be okay. It's gonna be okay. God is on his throne. It will be different for a time, but it's gonna be okay. Second, your life is precious. Precious to Almighty God, and your life is precious to the people in this church as well. Guys, we gotta trust that. And we forgot at some point, I think because of all the social distancing requirements, we forgot that there are times when we need to carry each other. You don't have to touch someone to carry them. At this point, sometimes it's a phone call, it's a text message. Can I tell you one of my favorite things to do? On the iPhone, if you're messaging another Apple user, okay, you get 90 seconds of video before it cuts you off, all right? Before you can't send it a typical, a normal text message way. And so what I like to do on Thursdays is I'll sit down and I'll take some time and pray for people in 90-second increments, and then I send them the video of me praying for them. I'm not saying you have to do that, but I will sit down and I'll go, Lord, who needs this today? And I'll sit, I'll record the videos, and I'll text them over to you. Android users, it's a little bit harder, all right, okay? I try to send you emails, okay? Now listen to me. 
you carry right now? Do you carry anyone? Or are you so deep in the mess that you just go, oh, the world's ending. Oh, the world is over. I'm going to watch another End Times podcast. Oh, my goodness, everything's falling apart. Can I tell you what my, my, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second. Please do not send me any more End Times stuff, okay? You know why? Because the Bible says from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself, no one knows the day or the hour, not the angels in heaven, not the Father or the Son. Tell me theologically how that works, by the way. Jesus and the Father are one, and Jesus' comment on the end times are, I don't even know. I don't even know. The Father and I are one, and I don't even know exactly what the day or the hour is going to be. So guess what? If he doesn't know the day or the hour, then it means we don't have to know it either. We need to live for him in all things. Amen? Live for him in all things. Man, live like he's coming back in five minutes, but let's build like he's coming back a million and a half years from now. Trust that God is the one who's in control, and he's the one who's going to set it right in his time. Talking about the end times all the time just scares people to death. Don't do it. We are not hopeless. Scripture says we are not born like those who have no hope. We got to trust he's in charge, and he's going to take care of it. All that to say, what we can do is we can carry each other. When someone's in trouble, let's carry him to safety. Let's bring them right to the gate so that God can take care of them. Final verses as we close. Look at Acts chapter 3. Sorry about that. I don't usually get on a soapbox, all right? It's going to be okay. Acts chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Here's what it says next. It says, when he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. But Peter looked straight at him. Underline, Peter looked straight at him, as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his full attention. Underline, gave them his full attention, expecting to get something from them. Now stop there for just a minute. What we have here, it's very interesting in verse 4 and verse 5, is we have Peter specifically looking at this man and realizing that he has need. We then have the man looking straight at them and offering his full attention for something that's about to happen. He thinks he's going to get something from them. If you're taking notes, how do we see the saved and wanderers come home? Number one is through consistent devotion. Number two is through sacrificial compassion. And number three is through genuine engagement to present the gospel. Genuine engagement to present the gospel. What we find in this passage that is so beautiful is Peter and John, even though they are focused on going to the hour of prayer, even though they're focused on going to hang out with other church people, even though they're focused on living for Christ, they stop and they see a man in need and give him their full attention. And then they figure out a way to engage with that man so that he gives them his full attention at the same time. Genuine engagement is required to present the gospel. If you're taking notes, write this down. An eternal, me- eternal message requires our full attention. An eternal message requires our full attention. Peter and John not only offer their attention, but they find a way to get the man's full attention as well. He is expecting to get something from them. He is expecting for there to be an interaction that is going to benefit him the same way. We've got to fully engage with the world around us if we ever expect the Lord to do something to change the world around us. When we don't fully engage, we make it a whole lot harder. It begs the question, when's the last time you gave spiritual matters your full attention? When's the last time you gave spiritual matters your full attention? 
for believers in Jesus Christ, when's the last time you gave attention to the person that you met on the street or the person in your neighborhood or even to a family member that just needed a little extra time? When's the last time you gave that your full attention? And then for those of you who may be here who are wandering or lost today, when's the last time you really considered Jesus and how he could right the ship for you during this time? One last little story and I'll close today. So um, Jack got a bed, okay, our eight-year-old got a bed. He had this uh, kind of little, little, little kid bed. He's eight years old, but he had a little kid bed. And uh, we found a bed on Amazon, 200 bucks, and it's a, uh, uh, it is a bunk bed, but it has a desk underneath it. And so we had this idea, get Jack this bed, and so he could use the desk for his school studies, and then, of course, sleep on the top bunk. And I mean, it's a really cool-looking little, you know, little metal bed, and uh, it just, just was a very cool deal. Well, anyway, we order it on Amazon, and some of you had this experience. Um, we ordered on Amazon, but due to the pandemic, it was 45 days and the bed had not shipped. And so finally, we got the money back for the bed. We found another one at walmart.com. And so then we, sure enough, it was the same bed. We got it in a few days. We got to go pick it up at the store. And so anyway, we have, we have this bed for Jack. Well, Autumn and I, uh, yesterday, spent time building this bed. And so we started off, and uh, have you ever built a piece of furniture, but it didn't have your full attention in the beginning, okay? Um, that's when you end up with screws that you don't know where they go, or uh, pieces where you don't know where they go. Anyway, we start building this bed, and in the beginning, four kids are running around the room, so excited. Jack is so excited, he can't see straight. And so we have this bed we're trying to build. Kids are going crazy. And then finally, uh, we get the bed done, but we have two pieces left. <laughs> that are shaped like E's. And so we're sitting there going, these are probably important pieces. And we just knew we were going to use them at some point. And then this is a true story. Autumn's my witness. She and I are sitting there, and we're looking at these two pieces. We don't know where they go, and there's 15 steps to build this bed. We look at step 15, and it's not step 15. We look at step 14. It's not step 14. We look at step 13. It's not 13. We finally flip back. It was the first step, the first step of the entire deal. The first step. Autumn looks at me and she goes, you've got a sermon illustration, don't you? And I said, yes, I do, all right? The first step, we missed it. And so they're the brace pieces that hold the whole bed together. And the whole time we had struggled to build this thing and we're missing these two brace pieces and we have to kind of figure out how to slide them through. And so we did what pastors do when you're in a moment like that. We prayed, all right? We sent the kids out of the room. Autumn and I prayed because we were like, look, he waited 45 days for this bed. Kid with autism waited 40 or waited 45 days for this bed. He is gonna explode. The joy is gonna turn into rage, all right, on the other side if we don't get this bed finished. And so we prayed, Lord, please show us what to do. Help us to figure the situation out. We got to do something. We prayed, and then by a miracle of Almighty God, we slid these pieces in at just the right spot. It took about 25 minutes for these final two pieces. Slid them in, and finally, the bed was able to be held together. Listen, when we don't give the gospel our full attention, we end up in a circumstance where we go, man, we have made this needlessly difficult. We have made our life situation needlessly difficult. We have made evangelism and sharing the gospel with others needlessly difficult. People, if they want to hear the gospel, or if they need to hear the gospel, have to know that you care about them, that you've walked a mile in their shoes, that you understand where they're coming from before they'll ever listen to a matter of theology. 
We've got to truly figure out a way to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. At the same time, if you are the one who's been lost and wandering today, if you give God your full attention, I think you'd be surprised at how easy that Jesus peace fits into the void in your soul. Give it your full attention. It might just change everything. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. It's a good day, isn't it? It's a good day to be in God's house. He is up to something very, very special in our days. We just need trust him. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection. There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. Just a chance for us to stop and to process how we're different because of the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, when you talked about the lost and the wandering, that described me today. Whether you are someone who needs to come to Jesus for the very first time, or you are one who has been wandering from him, and today is the day you need to come home. If that's you, I just want to pray for you. If that's you making one of those decisions today, I want to come alongside you and pray for you. If that's you, I'd like to ask you just to lift your hand where you are right now. I see you. I see you. I see you. Thank you. I see you. Y'all can put your hands down. Thank you. If that was you, I'm going to pray for you. But the Bible says the angels in heaven rejoice when a soul comes home. If that's you, my friend Trevor Timbrink is going to be standing in the lobby. If that was you, I just want to encourage you. When we stand in just a minute, just make your way back there and just say, hey, Trevor, would you pray for me? He'd love to pray for you and cement in that decision. Second, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time I was consistent in my devotion to the Lord. It's time that I was faithful with nobody looking around but just me. Remember, that wave up against the rock, consistency is one of the most powerful things in the universe. If you're here and you'd say, Zach, would you pray for me? I want to be consistent in my relationship with God so that others could look to me and see Jesus. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. It's a very powerful thing when we live for Christ every day. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you, but your prayer is very simple. Just pray, God, I'm yours. Every day, I'm yours. Next, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? The Holy Spirit has placed on my heart someone that I need to carry to the gate called beautiful. Someone that I need to carry to the foot of the cross. I can't make them make a decision, but I can certainly place them right there at the foot so that they can hear the message, so that they can experience Christian fellowship, so that they can be right there for the Spirit to work. With nobody looking but just me, if the Holy Spirit has put someone on your heart that you can carry through this time, if that's you, if you would just lift your hand in commitment right now. Ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down, so many of you. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer is simple. Say the person's name. 
and then say, Lord, please open a door that I could carry them to the cross. Lord, please open a door that I could carry them to the cross. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you that would say, Zach, pray for me. It's time for me to genuinely engage with the world around me, not just to be lofty and throw out what God could do, but for me to really walk a mile in someone's shoes, for me to look them in the eye, to look into their soul, to see what could help them, and then to offer Jesus with nobody looking but just me, if you're here and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. Pray that I would genuinely engage with the world around me so I could share the gospel. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. If that's you, I'm going to pray for you. But your prayer again is very simple. Lord, let me engage with the world around me. Lord, let me engage with the world around me for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for this day and for your blessings in it. And Lord, for those who are here today that are coming to you for the first time or coming home after a long time of wandering, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ you would give them a double portion of courage today to reach out and talk to someone about this before they leave. And Lord, I also pray for those wanting to develop consistency in their devotion to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, give them what they seek. Stir a fire in their bones daily that they would seek to spend time with you and that their lives would be worthy of someone looking in. I pray that they would see you. I pray that the people would see you when they look at these individuals' lives. And Lord, for those today who need to carry someone to that gate, to carry someone to the foot of the cross, that they might just have an opportunity to experience you. I pray that you would give them great creativity and resolve and that we might hear amazing stories of your miraculous greatness that comes from that effort that they put forward. And Lord, for those needing to genuinely engage with the world around them, I pray again you would open their eyes to see what you see, that you would open their heart to be filled with compassion. And Lord, I pray that we might truly take the time to walk a mile in our brother's shoes, our sister's shoes, that we might genuinely engage with their lives for the sake of the gospel. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.